0: welcome once again to a novel evening. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining me. I hope you're doing well wherever you're listening from. Um, It's getting towards the end of the summer break here as I'm recording. Um, We're finally getting a tiny bit of sunshine. So that is something. And this evening I am joined by acclaimed writer Leslie Thompson. And I'm so excited to talk to her all about her latest novel, The Mystery of Yew Tree House. Now, I love a good crime novel. Um, There's something about it, especially when like this one, it's set during World War II. I'm all for a cozy procedural. I love getting down to a good mystery and this has everything. I'm so excited to chat to Leslie all about the book, all about her inspirations for it. And I can't wait to see what she's going to bring to her novel evening. So a massive hello to Leslie, hello.
1: Hi there, nice to meet you, Danny.
0: And you, and how are you doing on this on this fine evening? Well, it's lovely here. We've got the
1: most beautiful sunset, the trees are kind of almost nuclear, so it's very it's very lovely actually. Oh, holding on well,
0: we can because it's going to rain
1: soon I believe
0: oh well, I'm admiring your office, obviously, your listeners can't see it, but I'm admiring the beautiful picture you've got on the wall of the young lady behind you.
1: oh yes, uh, which one would this be uh that I'm pointing that me? one
0: there yes it's gorgeous Virginia Woolf yes I love it I love that you've got her there for for inspiration
1: yes yes I mean she's probably at that yeah she is young in that, at that in that picture yes one of my favorite authors oh, ah yeah,
0: and look movie. the mystery of you House, congratulations firstly
1: Thank
0: you, thank you. i I mean, you've written so many books. Does it ever get kind of old when you've got a new one on the horizon about to come out?
1: No, I suppose I get old, but not really. But uh, um, no, I mean, it's always. Um, well, Virginia Woolf always found it quite difficult, but I mean, it's it, it's always it's always a pleasure, really, because you know the book is now. I've done all I can do. It's got a lovely cover. The production team have done their thing and then out it goes and we'll see what the readers think. So, no, it's never. if I ever get get bored by the idea of publishing a book, I really tend to give up.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Now, first and foremost, before we dive into questions for people listening, tell me about this book. Give us a little lowdown on what the story is and what happens in this novel.
1: Okay, well, the clue is in the title to some extent in the, it's a mystery novel, um, a la, I suppose, Agatha Christie, Neo Marsh. I love those um, sort of greenback paperback type um, detective stories from the 30s, 40s, 50s, I guess, really, heyday. Um, and it's partially set in 1940, it was 1939, 40, 41, as well as in the present day. And the, the past is um, during the war in Sussex, where I in fact live. Um, and it's where I lived, and this is where the idea came from, I suppose. It's, it's, I take my dog for a walk and I see um, pillboxes. Now, I don't know, you and Devon might know about pillboxes, I'm
0: not sure. I'm from Dorset originally, and we do have pillboxes in Dorset, yes. So ah, I've I I always wanted to explore them. I, I used to see them all the time.
1: Yes. Well, many listeners won't know, obviously, if you're living in land uh, and, and they just don't have them anymore or they've been knocked down, but mostly they've been preserved. They're red brick structures um, that were built for civil defence during the war, um, mostly occupied by the Home Guard, sometimes by the army. And they were built in readiness for the expected invasion of Hitler in about 1940. Um, he didn't in the end because he chose to invade Russia, so we were let off. But um, but they're, they're dotted everywhere in the Sussex com- countryside. And I've been seeing them for years and just thinking, mm, you know, not really thinking, to be honest, just walking past them. And, and this is how it sort of happens, you know, something you walk past and you see, but some, then one day, no, you think, a pillbox, what should I do? Well, I'm a crime writer, I'll put a body in there, which is kind of what happens anyway to crime writers, you know, you see a lovely place,
0: we'll stick a body in it,
1: stick a body in it. And this one is, is uh, discovered in the present day by two children um, when they're chasing their dog, who's in turn chasing a rabbit. And uh, it's not giving anything away to say that it's a skeleton that they find and that they realize the body has been the skeleton was murdered because of the skull. And um, that kind of opens the story. And because the t- uh, story is set in two time zones, we have the present day of the children and their parents and uh, uh, the various other adults in the story trying to solve well including the police trying to solve who killed the uh, skeleton um but we also have the, the time when the skeleton was a person and so we meet the actual live people and we ourselves are thinking is it is it him is it her is it what you know so um who is the killer i mean um so we've got the two things going on but it's all happening it's all centered around u Tree house which is in a village called Bishopstone in Suffolk.
0: I love I love when something is set in these kind of cozy rural areas you know so I grew up in Dorset and it always seemed like the very quiet places and not very much happens and there's something even more almost something even more horrific when it turns out something has happened in these beautiful quiet everyone knows each other and even years later I mean this is set in two timelines quite often families will still be in the area quite often people will you know returned home for you when you're writing this is that what kind of draws you to these areas?
1: Yes I mean I'm a Londoner um, and some of my books are set in Hammersmith in West London and round that area so Kew mm-hmm. Gardens for example and um, all along there by the river. but um, I chose to live in Leave London about oh god over twenty years ago now um, because I've always loved open spaces and countryside and um, when I started writing crime fiction it just seemed to me that you know the the, whole, the village is is, is a well known kind of you know the country house mystery type thing with yeah. the rural village and as you say very peaceful and seemingly idyllic but there's always something very interesting to a writer I think this writer anyway around the idea of opposites. So you've got a beautiful, idyllic area, but yes, and it comes up in the novel, somebody actually says there are cases of poison or something to that extent, something to that, around that. Um, because, you know, all, small communities, there, there's an intensity there that yeah. a writer can exploit and of course can lead to murder. Um, I mean, when I was writing about Kew Gardeners, I apologize to the people I was talking to, um, one particular person, um, who I was interviewing who and I said I'm sorry but I'm you know I'm going to put a murder in Kew Gardens he said oh god jolly good because everybody here's always wanted to murder somebody so you know it's because you've got a community with stuff happening people don't always feel great about each other so a village is as you say people know each other you've got a kind of closed community so you've, you've got who you and indeed as you also said importantly you've got people who lived in the 40s and you've got people who are living now and that all part
0: of the story. Yeah and I remember I, it draws to mind midsummer Murders and I know people would always laugh because nobody would ever move to these places with the crime rate that they had in these tiny villages but I know sometimes then they'd have people where you'd go back to their past and things would have happened mm. and there's this idea of secrets isn't there in, in somewhere mm. like that because you think you know your neighbours so well in these communities. Yes
1: that's well that's right we always think anywhere I mean if, well not in London or some a city but Yes, you do think you know your neighbours, and you think you know people, and you think you know people who are occupying roles in society. So, and and you can be wrong. And I mean, and to some extent, you know, crime writers, probably, you know, we're there to, we can actually point out, look beyond the stereotype, look beyond the role and see what else is there. Um, but also, you know, you see that the, the um, extent to which relationships can go and grudges can be held and secrets. As you say, it can be kept.
0: Yeah, and even throughout families, and that's the other thing with these little places. You know, grudges between families—they can go on for years.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. And yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, my next book, which I won't go on about, is, is looking at revenge. And yeah, one of part one of the elements of revenge are feuds that, that do indeed. So people are killing people or taking revenge on people who haven't done anything except be part of a group. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, a village is a great place to to set a story. And um, I mean, I think the key is not to set the same, there's lots of different stories in the same village, but to drop out a bit, and then you don't have the summer murders issue.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And this is dual timeline. Was there a particular element that you found easier to write or more natural to write, you know, in the present day or in the past? Was there one that you kind of preferred writing?
1: No, actually, which was lucky, because obviously you can be going, oh, God, here we go. I've got to write this bit now. I I mean, I really enjoyed writing about the Second World War. It's the second book in which I've had a Second war, World War element. And that was partly why I wanted to do it again, because I really enjoyed writing about that period of time. I mean, for me, I'm in my 60s. I grew up listening to my mum's stories about being a child in the during the war and her... Uh, parents and how they had to deal with it and um I mean I wish I could remember now more of the stories but that that era is real to me because I, heard, I, heard, I asked a lot of questions at the time I just wish I'd taken notes I didn't but uh, I did a lot of reading for um the death a it was the distant dead which was set in Tetesbury and is, is during some of it during the war and that just got me very interested in the home front and how sort of exploding some of the myths we, we have about Vera Lynn and well she wasn't, wasn't a myth obviously but everything was lovely everybody was loyal I mean murders in London went up and they had two thirds less of the police force so yeah. Yeah, they couldn't solve a lot of these murders, all they did know the murder was committed say by a soldier but they needed the soldiers so they sent him back to the front so, you know, there was all sorts of stuff that was going on that was not all lovely singing in the underground and there were more rapes anyway, i not going on about that, because that doesn't come into this story, but it meant I've read a lot about it. Yeah. I was very happy to go back and read more diaries and a very interesting biography of Winston Churchill, although he only features in a line, but that's classic himself. But so it felt I could just step into that world. Uh, And as a writer, you know, I mean, the thing is that human beings don't massively change. What changes is what they discover and how they make the world around them work that their emotions, the raw emotions and the complexities of relationships were the same then as now. So it wasn't difficult to imagine how people would respond if they were in certain situations. So the long answer to a short question, um, I liked writing both. And the the, the other present day, because this is a book in the series, Oh no, wait a yes it is, it's in the Detective daughter series. I get, this is what happens, you see I'm writing another book now and I can think, oh, what am I writing, when am I, who am I? Um, it's number nine in the um, Detective Daughter series. So some uh, readers will be familiar with Jack and Stella, others won't and that doesn't matter because I, I write them as standalone. Um, but I love writing about Jack and Stella and their world as well. So I was back there because I haven't written about them for a couple of years. So yeah. it was a treat to write actually. I have to say, and I do hope it's a treat to read because, you know, it's all very well for me to say that. but uh <laughs> I
0: mean, you say book nine is an incredible achievement. And obviously you've written books that aren't part of this series in between. So how do you find it to go back and forth between these characters?
1: Um Too easy, I think. I think they're all my, you know, imaginary friends. I mean, I did have a few imaginary friends when I was young, as well as real ones, I should have. And I think that, you know, I kind of just know who they are, really. I just know who Stella is. I know who Jack is. I'm interested. I'm inventing what happens to them next. But some of that interest is, is in my subconscious. So you kind of going, oh, yes, of course they do that. No, they might do that. So, it was, yeah, it was great fun. And there's a character in it called Lucy May, who's this irascible, difficult journalist who they've had an interesting relationship with over the years, sometimes annoying, sometimes affectionate. And I really enjoy writing her too. She's got a really lively personality. I'm pleased with her.
0: <laughs> did you ever envision getting to nine books with this series? Did you kind of when you were starting out, did you kind of have a, a plan in your head? Or is it just kind of as the ideas come, it just has naturally taken that path?
1: Um, I think to some extent you're always at the mercy of readers. The readers don't envisage yeah. the book then <laughs> nor do the publishers. <laughs> but I mean there are more there are always more stories to tell about. You know, anybody, there's always what happens next. So I will write them until nobody wants to read them. I, I would say.
0: I love that. And you just very briefly hinted that you're writing something else featuring revenge. Will this be part of the same series, or is this now something completely different?
1: Yeah, this is a standalone, but it does feature um, two of the characters from um, the. Which one? You see, uh, it's not Death of the Man, It's the, uh, the companion. The companion. Dreadful. I mean, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm I'm terrible at remembering the names of my titles of my own books. The Companion, the one that came out before this one, um, features uh, Freddie Power, who drives a, a well. She she she's a mobile fishmonger, so she drives a van and sells fish. And of course, that gives her the chance to, to go all over villages. And this is also Suffolk based. Uh, not my novels aren't always um, in Sussex. and uh, but and indeed in this one. She and her friend, Tony, is the woman, uh, Tony Kemp, she's a police officer down in Suffolk, detective. They're having a holiday um, and they've moved to Gloucestershire. So this book takes place in Gloucestershire. So that's where I'm at at the moment. And the the working title is The Shrine.
0: Oh, OK. OK. And this is a big question. But why crime? What is it that draws you to writing crime novels?
1: Um... Well I think first of all I want to tell stories about people um, and then when you get into that uh, crime my first novel wasn't a crime novel that was not published many many years ago now um, but I, I think it's the, I mean it, it covers everything um, you know it, it allows you to write about absolutely everything uh, because that's what human beings are like you know so you've got relationships between you know families. Um, relationships with partners, friends, children—all all of that—and um, then you've got the way that people behave. And I, I mean, one of the things that interests me as well is, um, which comes up because people die in my stories. Um, how do people deal with that? It's not just simply, "Oh, she's dead. Let's try and find out who did it." I'm not interested in who's done it. It's why was it done and what happened next, I suppose. Um, so you you know, you've got grief and loss and bereavement. All those things can be covered jealousy, greed. I mean, there's so many things that um, crime allows you to write about. Um, I mean, The Companion was partly about loneliness, for example, it's not just a murder story. So there's usually some other theme that I want to explore. Um, and as I say, you know, the one I'm writing now explores revenge, um, but it, it, yeah, so I think that's really why, I mean, and, and I do like a good mystery story as a reader. So I want yeah. to write to myself, I suppose
0: yeah I do think that's what draws us you know my my grandfather was an avid reader of all sorts of crime he loved kind of cozy mysteries right through to kind of you know and cleaves and in ranking you know right across the board procedural to the kind of very much who done it. and I do think I remember asking him once what is it about crime and it is the fact that it it shows all the facets of human nature doesn't it you know and and also the people who are working to solve these things and how it affects them and and how they cope with it because that's the other side of it isn't it
1: yes it is I mean I I, I feature police officers officers in my story but I'm not a stories but I'm not overly interested in writing police procedures but I need to get certain police bits right so I've got a police officer I talk to but um you know we're we're, we're in times at the moment when we're discovering the police didn't do their job so there's a whole other way of thinking about things and where women aren't being I mean have been seen to be treated by the police as um as unimportant and black people etc so it's quite interesting to be writing about the police at a time when the police are really having to look at themselves or they're not so you know questions about that I don't address that too much it's mostly in passing um but I, I, I mean, yeah, all novels, that's all the novels I read and then I've, all the ones you've just, writers you've mentioned, I read. Um, and I, I you know they've got some complexity complexity to them that I really enjoy. And I mean, for a while I went off Agatha Christie. I read her in my sort of teens and 20s then I thought, oh, I mean, I like Ruth Rendell and I like some of the American ones. But I felt she was just letting, you know, people just died and you didn't really. And there is a truth to some of that. She, there's not a lot of mourning for the dead in her in her stories. People much more... <laughs> but she's a terrific writer. So as a writer, I have really come to appreciate. Well, as a reader too, of course, I've really come to appreciate how she constructs the story and how she keeps you reading. Um, so I'm, I'm rereading her like mad these days. Oh, to, to
0: I'm that. so shameful. I live in Torquay. I live in Torbay. So I oh. literally live in the the home. You know. That's Greenway is 15 minutes away from me I've never been which is an absolute crime I've also I don't think I've read any Agatha Christie which I think is just shameful as well because I've been to the museum that's stacked full of her work and I've watched adaptations I think the problem is my mum used to binge watch Poirot and Miss Marple and I think that's what ruined it for me (laughs) the David Suchet remakes And I just presumed that they were very twee; they were very kind of of their time. Whereas, having spoken to more people, I think she had a darker side to her. I don't think she was afraid to go there.
1: No, she wasn't. I I mean, if you're ever going to start with one, and your mum might have other ideas, but the murder of Roger Ackroyd is a great beginning. Oh, I mean, I I, I teach creative writing, uh, and that's what that's one of the books on the syllabus. that we teach that we teach because it's a very it's a very clever book and I have read it several times and I see how clever it is as a result so that's what I recommend oh uh, I'm
0: adding it that's it that's gonna be my first Christie that I'm gonna dive into and I always say I will read some and I don't but I'm going to do it based on that and I was gonna say to you know Christy obviously had very complex plots that she was weaving and you know how do you when you start your novels do you know who did it from the very beginning and you're working towards that how do you tend to build your plot? Um,
1: I mostly do know who did it and noticed I said mostly Um, <laughs> there, there have been a couple of occasions when I have got stuck halfway through and at one time it was my partner who said well, what if it was I won't say whether it was third, so, yep. so, so, so but, but what if it was the opposite sex for the one that I had it down as? And I just, it was like, ting, something went off in my head, and I changed the gender there and then, and they became the opposite to what they were. And the story fell into place. So I wasn't changing the the uh, murderer per se, I was changing, I was reinventing the character. I had to go through the whole novel and do lots of search and replace it, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, I had it. You know, it came into being. There was another time when I did actually change two existing characters and make one of them the murderer, whereas it had been the other one. So that's only twice when I've written about fourteen books. So, otherwise, yes, I do usually know who's killed who. Um, although that said, I'm dithering about what, who about the murderer in the shrine. So, you know, it, it's sort of it's slightly at the moment the jury's out. Oh, and
0: does it usually just come to you? And in instances like, do you kind of just once you get to know the characters as you're writing them, it kind of like ah, they would do it.
1: No, mostly I do know, Um, and so there's two where it hasn't happened, and this one where there's a doubt. But even as I'm talking to you, I'm pretty sure that the person I thought I would have do it
0: is going to do it.
1: Yes, I think so. But they Um, are developing as a character all the time, so yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I do have an idea. I don't have a hard and fast idea of the whole story, but I have an idea of, of what I'm trying to do and why I'm doing it. So yeah. I mean, so so for the one I'm writing now, it's you know, I could almost do an elevator pitch and just you know, it would only have to be 10 floors, and I would have told my the potential whoever the whole story, because it's quite simple in its premise. Yeah. Um, and it starts with, you know, I've got that, I've got that stark image um which um from which the title came. So that that happens, and that happened with um the mystery of Tree House because I had the pillbox, which was this dark image, and then I had the idea of the skeleton in the pillbox, and the rest came.
0: And you had to then. How did the skeleton get there? Is yeah. the main thing you then have yes. to figure out.
1: Yeah, and who was the skeleton? I did, you know, I pretty much knew, but I'd, yeah, I yeah had to be, you know, and then I had to work out. You then you have to work out things like well, you can't have one suspect. So that's like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> unless this is going to be that we know from the start that suspect did it, which case yeah. the pivot of the story changes to when is everybody else going to find out and what's going to happen when that they do. Yeah. So that's a different story. Um, to some extent, Ruth Rendell did that in um, Fatal Inversion.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, she's a big influence on me in my, when I went from out with Christie, as I say, it was to Ruth Rendell. Um, so,
0: yeah,
1: there's other ways, but
0: that's. I mean, this is a whodunit with, you know, Yeah. bit of exercise. Yeah. <laughs> I have such, I admire crime writers so much and I, I do love to write and there's been parts of me think, oh, I'd kind of like to, but I know I would either have some glaring loophole or something would have happened where you think, oh, they couldn't have done it. I can't, and how you keep track especially when you've written this many books I think is so admirable because I just think your brains must work differently to be able to keep those things flowing and keep your readers guessing I think is an incredible incredible talent.
1: There's an awful lot of going over stuff you know I, I think it's important not to make it into some sort of arcane magic art you know it, <laughs> I go over things and I realize oh, well hang on that couldn't happen if that's happening so I need to rewrite that bit I need to change that move that around there's a lot of you know, you, you uh, make it, well, yeah, and it's like a clay model. You start with a rough and then you're slowly, you know, making it. Yeah. You up with this beautiful clay thing, but you did start with a lump of clay. So I don't want to make it sound like super brilliant, tempting though that would be. Um, it, it is, um, you know, there are loopholes, and sometimes when you get, get to as far as the editor or or of the copy editor who looks at it after the editor, they go, yeah, I don't see how that can happen because she's still in the house. Oh my God, yes, she is. And I'm mean, I mean, oh, no. Well for for the for the um uh, mystery of the tree house there was my editor had to say, What happened with the dog? And I thought, I forgot the dog so, you know, <laughs> oh, uh, no. I had to I had to add the bit about the dog in. So, you know, it's not all just perfect, it does take
0: yeah. several
1: runs at it and chasing around the side and patting it down until you get till you it where you want to.
0: Oh no! Now look, I'm thinking that for your novel evening, you might be bringing some of this this love of crime into your novel evening, but I could be wrong. I could Uh, be wrong.
1: No, you're not. You're not entirely wrong. No. Okay.
0: So we always kick things off by asking where we're going to go for your novel evening, because I think that is just as important as your guests.
1: Right. Well, we're going to go to the grounds of Tewkesbury Abbey in Ooh. actually worcestershire i always say gloucestershire but i think it's worcestershire but it might be gloucestershire and maybe your listeners will have a view let me let us know let us please um and i i if my novel The distant dead was based there but it before it was based there i mean this is what happens i love a place i get to get to really enjoy a place i go a lot and as i say i spot a body in the corner and i um first went to Tewkesbury with my dog In the rain, and discovered that I could take cover in the church, well, it's an abbey, take cover in the abbey during evensong because they allowed dogs in, which I didn't think they did. So, and he, thank God, I thought the high voices might have him barking, but he was a small poodle and barks at anything. So, we just sat and we were transported, or at least I hope he was. Um, And after that, I went a lot and I read about it. And I also sat outside in the grounds and we've got these lovely lawns and we've got these very old gravestones that are stacked against the wall and yew trees, um, which are always present in in cemeteries. And it's just a very peaceful place to be. So I thought that would be a nice place to meet some people. Um, I don't know whether we're meant to be eating. Um, It's
0: entirely up to you. Anything goes. I I think we could get away with it for a night if you wanted to.
1: Well, I mean, there is a nice Italian across the road, and I'd suggest, which we could, on a summer's evening, we could have all got ice cream from there and come across, or even gelato, I think they fell, so gelato. Be, And we'd, we'd sit, um, probably in tubs so it didn't get all over us, and we'd sit on the bench, but we'd also have some chairs to make a little circle, and oh. just listen to the birds sort of flying around the top of the spire um, as the sun began to dip.
0: Oh, in and your Cheeksbury Abbey, I read a lot of historical fiction. So I've read about it in so many different forms, in so many different ways, and it's somewhere I've never been. And I'm desperate. You know when it's one of those places you always read about that old Cheeksbury, and I think, one day I'm going to go there and see it. So you're going to take me there.
1: Well, it is a lovely place. And the other thing about it is that it's on the it's, it's at the confluence, as they say, between the Severn and the Avon, so it's got two rivers meet in the town. And flood. Yeah. So it gets flooded, and it's, only, it's been flooded not so long ago. So you've got to choose where you are, but uh, and, and a lot of round the abbey does get flooded, but not the bit we'd be sitting on and anyway. No, we'll fine. be
0: fine. And it's gonna be a beautiful evening. There's gonna be no rain.
1: Yeah. We can also
0: control the weather.
1: <laughs> yes. And everybody's at home watching telly, so it's very peaceful. There's only birds and, you know, little animals hopping about.
0: So oh that's beautiful. the place. <laughs> okay I like I, I can picture it so clearly as well so I love this I do like we know we have raucous novel evenings and we've had all sorts of settings but sometimes just a peaceful setting is a good place well, for conversation
1: yeah nobody said it wouldn't be raucous but oh <laughs> no,
0: okay well, no no I just
1: felt I had to say that because you know I can do raucous I can do raucous well yeah. it
0: depends on who you're inviting
1: well um I think I think the people I'm inviting, they, both, two of them could be raucous, but with me included, but on the whole, we tend to have a lot of laughs rather than particularly raucous, but yeah, they're laugh laughs too, actually. So. Okay.
0: When,
1: so okay. Let me, yeah. Anyway, onwards.
0: Yeah, so who's your first person who's going to meet us at the Abbey?
1: Okay, so it's crime writer William Shaw, um, who's written, um, well, I've read all his books um but he's also a musician so this is where i started to think well he does have a kaylee band but i wasn't really thinking they would come it's just him um and he he's written a, a book set down in dungeon f um which uh feature a detective called Cupidy or cupiddy is one of these names that uh he says i oh, pronounce it as you like <laughs> um but Cupidy is how I pronounce it. And I've had the joy of reading some of, of um, Cupidy's words because when I do launches with him and somebody else, and we've often swapped each other's books and read from each other's books at the launches. Um, so I've read the first few pages of several of his novels out loud. Um, but yeah, I mean, his books are just fantastic. He's just recently moved into writing thrillers. And of course I should have written down because I've got such a dreadful memory um, the Conspirators is his most recent book, um, oh. but I do recommend his Dungeness series, I bet most people listening have read them anyway, but uh reread them, they're fantastic, he really captures oh. Dungeness, but also the area of Kent that he writes a lot about, uh, although he lives in Sussex. Um, so yeah, he's just a great guy, he's just really supportive as a writer, as a friend, so he'd have to be there.
0: Oh, wonderful! I love that you've invited a real life literary friend as well. Yeah. I like that a lot. Okay, so Williams shown up. He's there. Who's next? Yeah.
1: Well, um, another live literary friend is Ellie Griffith.
0: Oh, um, yes.
1: I didn't mention her name earlier because, but she's the third person at these launches. So, because I wanted to introduce her properly, but we call ourselves the crime trio on our WhatsApp, and we are the three of us very supportive and. We've all read each other's books uh, and we do a lot of events together and we're doing one in Ledbury not so long, as well it's in October as well, and we're doing one in Shoreham as well, in Sussex in uh, in October as well, so we, we do quite a few, we're almost <laughs> a road show to be honest, um, without, we did actually do a small road show in Sussex in a week, but that was just driving to the places, we weren't getting in a car and sitting together particularly, but we, we, re, we know each other's books, we like each other's books and we like each other, and we really enjoy talking about our writing, the, the, the highs, the lows, books we've read. I mean, not not dissimilar to this conversation, really. If they were here, this would be what it was like. Um, places we've chosen to write, how we're writing. It, it, we're, it, it's what every, every writer needs. You need a support group of uh, people you trust and respect, and they are they. So, oh
0: I love that's so wonderful. And do you get to bounce ideas off each other? can you kind of when you've got those moments where you need to to be able to get some some ideas or feedback are you able to do that?
1: Ten, that's one thing we don't do I think we're all quite I mean William's in a, in, a, in a book group I mean not a book group a writing group's
0: oh, been
1: for years and he's been published and so has somebody else in his group which is CJ Samson so,
0: oh wow quite
1: quite a, quite a, quite a uh, writer's group.
0: I was um, gonna say what a wide
1: group. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we tend to when we meet to talk about the industry and to talk about yeah. how we're you know, how our novels are actually doing, not not in sales, but just in terms of on the page as we're writing yeah. them. Um but otherwise we also have a good laugh and we always have a Christmas lunch every year because we see each other as it's the office lunch. Um and during lockdown when we were actually allowed to go out, but there wasn't there wasn't anywhere to go out to eat. We um, we bought chips and we sat on the beach at Rotting Bean and it was raining to add to the discomfort. So we were under an arcade, not an arcade with lots of things going on. It was des- desolate, and at the other end, people were smoking dope. Young people said, <laughs> so "We smell this coming up along in the in the rush along this arcade," and we were up at the other end. And Ellie had brought mild wine, and we bought chips. And, um, I and, myself, and I took a picture on. I just bought myself in fact here, bizarrely, I just bought myself a selfie stick, which I'm waving at you, but won't help the listeners. I could be waving anything from <laughs> the. And I took a picture, and, and it went up on Facebook and all various social media, and everybody said we looked like we were homeless. Somebody <laughs> put, we just looked bedraggled. William had had a hat which he'd put on the floor. The whole thing was was crazy, but great fun. Um,, oh. eating chips in the rain and then talking about our lives, but yeah, so they would just definitely have to be at my tubekesbury ice cream. If party. only
0: people knew how many people you'd all killed collectively as well with the three of you, if only people knew well, no, that's right,
1: they would if they well, I'm sure walking past us, they might have guessed actually, we did look like a fearsome I- bunch, but yes. It's uh, true. I mean, yes, uh, people and children too. You know, I mean Ellie Griffiths so has joked about with her. You know, she's got a few dead children in her story.
0: Goodness!
1: Yeah. Oh my lord!
0: <laughs> no, I, but you're I good fun matter- on matters. an evening out. That's what matters.
1: Yes. So anyway, yeah. So we, uh, I'd have to have those two.
0: Okay, um, so you've got your your travelling roadshow with you. So who's your who's your wild card guest?
1: The wild card is is no longer with us. She died in in I think about 1985 or six I can't remember maybe even earlier. Uh, Barbara Pym I'm going to wave her novel rather uselessly. Oh
0: okay. Uh,
1: And she's not a crime writer. No. She'd be the odd one out not just around mortality but also about genre. And the one I'm waving the book I'm waving uselessly at the uh, at the microphone as it were is is excellent women. Um and Barbara Pym was. Well, my mum was a big fan of Barbara Pym. And so while she was alive, she was, I'd read, she'd read and I was kind of like, I did actually read her while mum was alive, but I'd, if mum liked a book, I wasn't necessarily going to rush to it. There was a sort of built-in. Yes,
0: yeah, I've been there. Story.
1: Yeah. Um, but then there comes a point when you start thinking, it could have a point. And I read one Barbara Pym, and then I read them all. And I've since read them about three times each. And she, I mean, she is, I mean, it was the junior wolf for a long time but now I'd say it's Barbara pin as my favorite writer um wow. she's she knows how to construct sentences so that you absolutely see it you get it you know two people sitting in a cafe they don't know each other they have to share a table or well, there's hardly any conversation and there's just a you know inflections and and gestures and the way they behave absolutely you just you just know it you just know it it's what I call yes moments when you're reading a novel, oh yes, you really know what that writer is doing and you get, it's, this novel is full of yes moments, as are all her novels, she's, she's very dry and witty, she's writing in the late 40s, early 50s, and look, the other thing about her, which is something we would all want to talk to her about, is that she was out of print for about 13 years. And that's always the axe that hangs over any writer, you know, yeah. most writers, I mean, probably not Ian Rankin, but most writers, you know, that, that um, it could go I mean, it could go horribly wrong for some reason.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it did for her. She, she went out of passion and she got a letter from her long-time publishers. She was not even a, you know, didn't even take her out for lunch, although personally I wouldn't really want her to be taken out to lunch. told No. <laughs> What would you want to eat could you swallow but at least some sort of meeting where you just had a coffee or something conversation come... yeah yeah um but she got a letter saying end of and she just had to go okay and she'd never given up the day job so she carried on doing the day job which oh, was wow. working um as a, I think a researcher for a, a little a little organization that dealt with um some sort of archaeology thing at the moment it escapes me what it was exactly but it was in a tiny little room in bloomsbury on the top floor it was one of those old-fashioned offices with creaking floorboards and she writes very well about people working together actually because of yeah that. She knows about working and she just kept that was it she kept writing even though nobody was publishing her and then one day um the observer ran a piece as they do still of writers being asked what they thought of you know who, they, who, who was their most favourite but underrated writer and two people Lord David Cecil and poet Philip Larkin said Barbara Pym and mm. all the publishers were like that whoa who is this Barbara Pym and suddenly she found that everybody wanted to know about her well she had novels sitting there she'd been writing them
0: yeah
1: and so she she published and she was shortlisted for the Booker she didn't actually win.
0: Um, what a turnaround though
1: well a total turnaround and um, her books were published all over the world then and suddenly she she was doing really well unfortunately about five years later she got breast cancer and she died so she didn't really live very long to really appreciate the level of success but she did have it and I find her a massive inspiration around the idea of you know things aren't going well writing wise keep going You know, and to have that happen to you, to be just summarily dismissed. And she was in her late 40s at the time. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't thinking perhaps she might stop writing. Uh, And to keep going, I just thought, was, she's a a role model. So I'd have her, and I know that um, William and uh, Ellie would really enjoy talking to her as well, because she's just a very interesting writer. So I don't know what she'd think of us all being crime writers. Uh, I'm oh, I don't know.
0: That. I think she'd get on board. I think she'd get on board with that. Well,
1: I'd like to hope. It's
0: very hard to know.
1: I mean, I've read a biography of her and she's a funny stick. Well, I'll tell you one thing she used to do. If she she used to just with her sister. She never married and nor did her sister. Although, no, did her sister marry and he died? I can't remember now. Um, but they ended up living together anyway, first in a flat. I mean, she never had much money because she didn't make any, didn't make any money out of publishing yeah, books. Yeah, of course. And, you know, she was writing literary fiction, so that sold even less. Until And then she did make money after the Booker Prize and stuff. Um, But that was later on in life. So her sister, who had been, I think she'd worked at the BBC all her life in the the music library. She um, was the one who had the flat and then could buy a house. So they ended up in a little, well, in a village, actually. They ended up, in fact, you could talk to us about living in villages, because they ended up in a village in Oxfordshire. Um, and went to the local pub, and but they were both churchy people, so they also they very quickly found a community with the local church. Um, but what she used to do when she was living in the flat in in London is they'd sometimes just follow people, and like she, the next door neighbour, they didn't want what's he doing, who is he, let's find out. So they see him going out in the morning, and they follow him. Oh my word! Get in a car and go follow his car. So well, you
0: could say, go up to all sorts then.
1: Yeah, and she was slightly a stalker. In fact, I mean, if she was a man, she would officially be a stalker. So she is a stalker. Women are stalkers, what am I talking about? Somebody who dumped her, she just used to go and look through the window and stuff. So there's a darker side to her, which I think we would also dig up and question That them. would,
0: yeah, perhaps that could that could work in your favour in this instance. I
1: think so. I think we'd all be quite sort of, sorry, we've never done anything like that, Bab. But, you know,
0: <laughs> but how beautiful as well. You know, your mum used to read her, you know, yeah. quite after my mum read a lot of Karen Slaughter. And I used ah. to be very kind of like a bit sort of sneery. you know, i kind of like, oh, it's not my bag. And then I remember picking them up and thinking, actually, she had a point
1: yeah no counter slaughter there's a very good one I, I mean it's terribly painful to read but it's very good now what's it called it's about a family um and the sister gets murdered but i won't say more than that but i'm not a plot following because they can't remember the title strange. oh it sounds
0: it sounds familiar though i i um, recognize it but i can't think of the name either <laughs> it's not
1: it's a one-off it's not a it's not a one of her you know yeah not a series but it's not one of those it's, it's a one-off and it's a mother and two daughters and there was a father he's alive still I'm not sure about the mother but and one of the daughters goes and lives away but one of them dies and it's just ghastly. and it's just And but it's so well written and it's so good about relationships
0: that's and the it's... thing her things are so dark and yet you can't stop yeah. reading
1: yeah yeah, yeah no, i haven't read her for a while now um but i really yeah i really enjoy her stories i think they're great and she's so different she's one of those classics but I was in um, at, a, at a, a festival in America about five years ago, and she was speaking at it. Oh, wow. Um, She's very funny on stage. And she hates yeah. And she hates babies. And oh. She was just very funny about it because she got asked, oh, you don't like children. No, I can't stand them. <laughs> oh. But I think she quite liked her own her niece or nephew or something, but babies were, oh, get them away. You know, she was just very funny, but she was very yeah. human and real. I, I, I liked her.
0: I think you have to, to write what she writes, I think you have to be funny in real life. Yeah. You have to be.
1: You have I to be. always You're say not, that. I mean, she, I mean, I went up later and said, I just have to say, you did make me laugh. That was very good and she was gracious about it. I don't usually sort of form. I thought, I've got to speak <laughs> to her. You know, she was just terrific. It was a really good, it was an entertaining yeah. um, session. I'm sure people have seen her here. She's probably very, you know, she's great. But I love her book. But yeah, yeah. your mum was right. Karen's thought was good. She
0: was right. It's, it pains me to admit when your mum's yes. right, but she was yeah. right. And look, this is the moment where I ask if there's anyone who's not welcome at oh, your evening. yes.
1: Now, this was... Oh, God, I haven't come up with somebody. I've failed here. I've come up with the with the trait of the person, but I, I mean, it's not going to surprise you that I can't remember. It was a man, and I can't remember his name, and he would be dead now. So this is really going to be... Uh, so a dead man... <laughs> And I, I think I had to read him. I was reading him for research, and oh. all the way through he was making me so cross. Um, and I was just thinking, no, you're wrong. You're completely wrong about this. So he was dead. And I kept thinking, if you weren't dead, I would kill you, or I want you dead. And I- it was I guess, worse. You
0: can't even tell him he's wrong.
1: No, it was. I mean, it was so. I was asking my partner today, and she, and she couldn't remember either, because I, I mean, I was. Wait, you know, you know when you're sort of reading something and constantly swearing. Yeah. And I was doing that. And I have, I've gone through my Kindle. I've gone through my bookshelves. can't remember who it was. I mean, in some ways, that's a good thing. Yeah. Because I don't think he deserved to be remembered. <laughs> but it was, it was wrong. You know, it was just everything was wrong around attitudes to women and something else and something else. And I just was furious. Well, he would definitely not be invited. Whoever
0: you are, nameless dead man, you cannot come.
1: <laughs> no, you cannot come. Uh, you're not invited. Uh, and he probably—if he's dead—he probably knows who he is. He
0: uh, you knows somewhere. It, he's returning in his grave with his ears going.
1: I hope so. So about that, the because otherwise I couldn't really think. I know I really couldn't think of people I wouldn't want.
0: It's a I tough mean, question.
1: It is, and I could, you know, I mean, there are people alive who I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't want there. But I'm not going to name because that's sort of course, not the point. It's more about the balance of the people I do have, rather than I would yeah. be thinking of inviting anybody else. And it is a tough question. I mean, the only person that I, I could come up with who's a real person, which was a kind of twist to myself, was Charles Dickens, He's writing I love. Um, but his treatment of his wife was appalling, and for that, he, he wouldn't come. I'm
0: not sure he's a lot of fun, either, Charles Dickens. I don't oh, think he'd, he'd take bring... take
1: over, I think. He'd take over. he's, you know, theatric, and he'd have to be the best. He'd, he'd perform... He read out, he read out our novels in a sonorous, overly dramatic way. I mean, that's because that's what he did with his own, and it killed him. But he, I mean, he is a great writer. But yeah, I mean, so probably if I, I might, if I had to think of someone and say no, I'm not inviting them, it might be him.
0: That's fair. That's, I think that's very fair. And before I let you go and enjoy the rest of the evening, because it's almost gotten dark here. I don't know about for you, but yes, the sun it, has it, definitely set. Dark, yes. <laughs> Yes, I remember is. to put my light on this time because usually I'm sat in darkness. But I have to ask <laughs> if you're reading anything at the moment. Yes, I
1: am. Uh, and I nearly invited him along, actually. Oh. Uh, I'm reading the complete works of Anthony Trollope. Um, ah. And, and we're talking about parental influence again. And as a, as a mother, this should should make you feel grateful, even if you don't end up being around to know it. I was given the warden. No, not the warden. I was given that, but the one after that. They were, oh, God. Let's say it with the warden, because I can't remember. Uh, it's the second book in the series, so listeners can write in and tell you what it is. Um, but by my parents, when I was... um do the right age, right? Uh, it, oh, yeah, I was 14. And so okay. my copy of this book, which shall remain nameless, till I can remember it, has, you know, love from mum and dad, well, mum and dad by that time. Um, and it had the date, yeah. and I was 14. I never read it. For the same reason we've just been talking about. As we
0: do, we're not going to read something our parents have given us. Yeah, no. you know, it didn't give me uh, whatever it would have
1: been. Um, and I'm I was reading it on Kindle because I bought the complete works for like three p um, at some point. And I realized I was reading it and I thought, wait a minute, and the title was familiar. And I went and looked at my bookshelves and there I found the book and pulled it out. And that's when I found that it said that and it was. Oh. It. And at the time, this was. Um, well it was a few weeks ago Uh, at that point I was still 64 so 50 years later I was reading the book that my parents had given me and I loved it so I'm working my way through his Barchester Chronicles and that was the second one in the Barchester Chronicles and I'm now on the last one and he is the most terrific writer I'm just telling everybody to read him he is so good on women so good on It's very hard to believe that he's a man writing in the 19th century. It really yeah. is hard to believe. Um, he invented the, postal, hit the uh, postal Service, and it's quite funny because there are a lot of letters that people write to each other, and I thought, when did he does this? Because he invented it, and he wants yeah. to the post Postal Service. Ah. Aside from that, yeah, so I'm on the last one. I'm on the last Chronicle, Chronicle of Barchester, and I don't want to finish. And my Kindle, which I'm reading it on, obviously, tells me I've got about uh, 14 hours to go. <laughs>
0: Oh, and do you know what? This, this is a lesson. It. This is a lesson for us. Sometimes our parents are right. Yes. Yes, I think that's right.
1: So, you know, just just tell your kids, you
0: know, actually, you'll be reading this in 50 years' time. You will. So. You <laughs> will. And the, my children are so little at the moment. We just read the most horrific books. But someday, and they do, they do look at what I'm reading. And one day I'll be forcing it down their necks and saying, you need to read this book. And, and they'll throw it time. on a pile somewhere. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then maybe 50 years on, they'll be saying, good God, I wish we'd, you know, but with life expectancy increasing, you might still be around to know it. So who knows?
0: Who knows? But look, Lizzie, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming to chat to me. I wish you all the best with the mystery of U Tree House. And honestly, this has just been great.
1: Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, you know, thank you, Danny, for the
0: opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name. And we'll see you next week. Bye bye.